I'm pulling up like what I've watched this year, my tag. Yeah. And it's been an odd year for me. I mean, I feel like I say that every year. <laughs> there there's only been like one, two, three, let's see, four, five, I don't know. I would say five films so far that are were like deaf no no, there's been more. Okay. This beer has been better than I thought it was than I realized. I feel like for me every year it gets into like mid December before I'm like, oh okay, I've got a good list. Like yeah. I feel like early December, late November, I'm just like, there's nothing. I have absolutely nothing on my list. But we'll get there. Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello and welcome. It's Thanksgiving week, and we are discussing She Said, the new movie about Megan Toohey and Jodie Cantor, two reporters who helped the New York Times break the 2017 story of the women sexually assaulted by producer Harvey Weinstein. But before we get into that extremely depressing topic, let's introduce ourselves and answer the question, are you allowed to put up a Christmas tree before Thanksgiving? (laughs) Well, I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I think that this is a very targeted question, Lucas, <laughs> because you clearly know that my Christmas tree has already been up. It went up on November 1st, um, and so clearly my answer is yes, that's totally fine. Have you always been a Christmas tree before Thanksgiving person? No, actually, I've, I've never been one. Um, my family has always put up the Christmas tree, you know, immediately after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. so like yeah. that weekend. Yeah. Um, and you said that's been our standard tradition. And then as a as an adult, apart from my family, some years I've had trees, some years I haven't. But, you know, living in houses with roommates and trees are the taking the time for them never feels worth it, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and especially because, you know, when you visit your family for the holidays like I do, um, it feels like I'm gone for Thanksgiving for a week and then I come back for like sometimes two weeks in December mm-hmm. and then I'm back, you know, immediately for Christmas. And so decorating always felt like, oh, I'm going to decorate for two weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this year, however, I have been filled with the Christmas spirit. It's uh, the thing that brings me the most joy. And um, I'm living in a house on my own for the first time. Um, and so I have full control over the decor of my house. And I decided that I was going to go big on Christmas. And that meant decorating on November 1st so that I could fully, like, enjoy having the decorations up instead of just for, like, a sliver of time yeah. in December. I am Lucas Wright from Chicago. <laughs> and I definitely grew up as someone who was like, I am going to put the Christmas tree up as soon as thanksgiving's over that's when it starts no christmas talk no christmas music nothing christmas until after thanksgiving one holiday at a time yeah i think the pandemic changed that for me and i was like do what you need to do (laughs) blessings and peace to all (laughs) yeah whatever decision you need to have to make yourself feel good go for it well and like now that my tree is up 
One, it brings me, like, it makes my home feel so cozy, and it brings me so much joy. Exactly. And I'm just kind of like, why would I delay this? Why would I, like, you know, only let myself have this for two or three weeks when I could have it for two months? I 100% agree with that. Rebecca's literally upstairs right now putting up the Christmas tree. Oh, good. As we speak. I can't wait to see photos. (laughs) If um, any of you listening want to see photos of my tree... I am doing a series on Instagram where I am posting a picture of a different ornament every day until Christmas. Um, And they're on a highlight on my Instagram page. So you're welcome to go check that out. Nice. Um, Well, before we transition into She Said, every week we like to talk about something we've either discovered or rediscovered. Um, So Sandra, tell us what you're feeling this week. So I can't remember if I've brought this up on the podcast or not before, um, but I recently finished a book series, so I definitely know I didn't talk about the entire series, and I, I'm wanting to give it a shout out. Um, I recently finished a fantasy book series, which is kind of remarkable for me because yes. <laughs> fantasy is very much not my genre. Um, I, I've never seen a Lord of the Rings movie. I have read The Hobbit, but other than that, I've stayed away from that universe. I, I don't like it. I, I feel like it's often the nerdiness element can really like detract for me. Yep. And, um, yeah, it's just never been my thing. However, there is a series, the series itself, I guess people call it Akatar because the first book its title is A Court of Thorns and Roses, and then each book has a different, you know, title, but the series itself doesn't have a, a name other than A Court of Thorns and Roses, which is the first book's title. Some of the other titles are A Court of Mist and Fury, A Court of Wings and Ruin, A Court of Frost and Starlight, and A Court of Silver Flames. Before I start talking about the series itself, I do just want to say, I think these titles are horrible. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, th- I like, they do nothing for me, and I feel like the series would be so much less embarrassing to talk about if they had better titles. So I'll have that disclaimer right away. This series, it's based in like a fairy fantasy war realm. Um, and it's also heavily influenced by like romance novels, which is the thing that does draw me into this series. Mm-hmm. Um, the first book is about a human woman who um, like is sort of ca- um, captured by a fairy king and um, forced to live with him. It's very Beauty and the Beast-esque. And... Um, it's about her, like, learning about the magical, immortal fairy world and, you know, getting involved in romance and battles and all sorts of things. Um, this is a series that was recommended to me by a dear friend. And again, it's not my genre. I never would have given this series a chance if a close friend of mine hadn't said, like, <laughs> I'm obsessed with these books. Um, I read the first one based on her recommendation And I thought, like, it's okay. You know, like, again, it's not really my thing, but it's okay. And something compelled me to continue reading in the series. There's five books. um, And the second book, um, where our main character sort of starts to meet another fairy king, is so incredibly fun. It's filled with lots of cool adventures and trials. It has... The 
most interesting cast of characters, a real, real um, found family of like people who have grown dependent on each other and like are, are very unique. I have had a blast with these books. I finished the rest of them very quickly. Um, after I finished the fifth book, I went and reread the second book because that was the book that really ignited my love for this series. Um, and I cannot wait for it to continue. I feel like there's at least one more book coming, I think. Um, and this book series is being um, produced by Hulu into a TV series, oh. which I think is pretty exciting. I have, I'm very curious the level of budget that this kind of series will get, because if it's done right, I do think it could be as popular as something as like Game of Thrones. Um, but if it's done poorly, like a lot of, I think <laughs> like most, <laughs> like a lot of these can be, you mm-hmm. know, um, or, and not even so much poorly as just if it doesn't have like the, the buzz and the attention, I feel like I see a million streaming service, like magic shows, you yeah. know, that no one talks about that are about, some are about fairies, some are about witches, you know, and I'm just like, there, I no one who watches these shows, you right, know, right? So I'm intrigued and I have high hopes for this. Um, I think if you like fantasy books, this is one that I would strongly recommend. If you really like romance, um, I think this is worth checking out. And this is the, the entrance to this genre that I would recommend. Yeah, would you call it a fantasy romance? like series or would you call it a fantasy series with romantic elements i think i would call it a fantasy series with a strong romantic plot line okay um the first two books are big into the romance Mm -hmm. um the third book third and fourth the the third book is more about the fantasy and like a great war that's in that's ongoing Mm -hmm. um there's the fourth book is technically a novella. So some people count it as a book in the series. Some people count it as just like a side little story. Um, that one is just kind of like a cozy Christmas story, honestly, which <laughs> I love. Um, and then the f- last book takes on the character is from the perspective of two of the other characters. So not the main character. Um, and that one is heavily a romance, but also, you know, within this fairy adventure world. Yeah, got it. Yeah. So a mix of both, but not necessarily taking all of the tropes of a romance novel and just setting it in a fantasy world. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. there's definitely like some great sex scenes. If that's something that interests you in these books, um, that's included and um, something you should be aware of. But it's it doesn't feel like the the whole story does not center around the romance there's quite a bit of like action involved look at you bringing a fantasy book series to the podcast do you like fantasy lucas i don't read a lot of fantasy i like so i like fantasy for me fantasy feels a lot like sushi where it's like you got to be real careful where you're going for this stuff 100 (laughs) it can get it can get uh dangerous very quickly yeah so yeah and like i said the first book i kind of felt that way where Mm -hmm. i was kind of like oh this is a prime example is like the main character name is Feyre. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like all the names have these like, yeah. Yeah. like Nessa and um, oh, what are some of the other recent and um, Tamlin and like, uh, you know, these mystical names. Yeah. <laughs> and that took some getting used to just yeah. like getting my, yeah, getting my bearings. But the second book is so good. So my biggest recommendation is, 
read the first book. If you're not like repulsed by it, definitely read the second book. And if the second book doesn't work for you, then bail. Sounds good. Yeah. And that is A Court of Thorns and Roses. Yes. Right? Okay. Yep. Cool. And what are you feeling this week, Lucas? I am feeling, well, okay, here's the deal. (laughs) Sometimes what we're feeling is something that we actually like want to get out in the world and like recommend to people. Sure. Um, I don't necessarily feel like this is one of those times (laughs) for me. (laughs) What I'm feeling is a movie that I would recommend to almost nobody, but I cannot get out of my head this week. (laughs) So. And that movie is Tar. It is directed by Todd Field, um, and it stars Kate Blanchett as, like, a world-famous conductor uh, getting her orchestra ready to do a live recording of uh, Mahler's Fifth Symphony. Um, it is so deep into, you know, that life and that world, which is not anything that I obviously I'm involved in or know a lot about, but I think it does such a good job of, like, bringing you into what this world is like. Um, and I think it dives into it, things that have interests me in a lot of the movies that I recommend and really love of just like, what does it actually mean to be great? Um, and this, I think really dives into power. What does it mean to have power? And at a certain point in, in a powerful person's career, they have so much control over just every aspect of their life. Um, and what does that do to a person who, mm-hmm. um, you know, has, who has that much power and control? Um, I think it also dives into the idea of like separating the art from the artists, I think in interesting ways. Um, I think this movie has a point, but it's not trying to answer a specific question. It's not like, here are all these questions and then I'm going to answer it for you at the end. This is the right answer. This is how things work. It's more Mm -hmm. just like, aren't these questions complicated and isn't life difficult? (laughs) Um, in a way that I don't think, uh, will everyone will be happy with, um, at the end of this movie. I also think this movie is extremely long and extremely slow. Um, and if you are looking for, um, a movie with uh, really solidified plot points, you're not going to get it with this movie. <laughs> so I think this movie is a difficult movie for a lot of people to watch. Um, everybody I watched it with hated it, <laughs> except for me. <laughs> and so um, I think it's I think it's one that I probably wouldn't recommend to most people, but it is one that I have just continued to get more out of every time I've thought about it. And it is one I'm absolutely going to have to rewatch again to be able to understand, I think, everything about that movie. But um, you saw it, right? I did, yes. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I had pretty complicated feelings about it as well. Um, I think the primary thing that I came away with was like that movie was very long and very brutal to watch. Um. And not brutal because, like, in the way that if you see, like, something, a really traumatizing, you know, thing of violence depicted in a movie, like, that's brutal. It wasn't brutal in that way. Brutal in just that, like, there's so much to take in and it's so long and it feels punishing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are movies that I feel like are very long and I, because of how long they are, I get, I check out and I'm just like, oh, when is the movie going to be over? I'm bored. I'm sleepy. I'm, you know, tired of this film. I never once felt that way about Tar. I was intensely engaged the yeah. entire time. Yep. <laughs> um, which was exhausting, yeah. to be quite honest. Um, there's a lot about it that I think was fascinating and so incredibly well done. Kate Blanchett is like a powerhouse in this film. It goes without saying that she's oh, yeah. just like delivering like one of her career best performances here. Um, and so that's like mesmerizing to watch regardless of how I feel about the film as a whole. Yeah. I, I don't know how, again, this is a film I wouldn't recommend to anyone. <laughs> um, 
but I'm glad I saw it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting that you talk about how, like, this film is kind of about what power does to a person. Something that's going to be relevant in our um, conversation later on. I remember back when a lot of the Me Too movement was starting and having a conversation with a coworker um, about like how um, assaults in, in, you know, that was being reported in Me Too became like prevalent. And he, you know, uh, I don't know if this theory of mine was accurate, but a theory I had at the time was not that men assault people and women don't or that he we're kind of trying to figure out what the root cause was and my belief at the time was that like power corrupts everyone mm-hmm. and that men primarily have held positions of power which is why we're seeing like tons of men being accused of things yeah and again i don't know if i agree with that still but it is a question that i am constantly thinking of and that i i like the way that this film examines that question yeah yeah i think power the 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 connection between power and genius um i think are really connected in this movie and what does it mean to be a genius and top of your field like those types of things um connected to that not only desire for power but also that um intrinsic power that you have by being that kind of person um and the way that you get to kind of tell that story um it's interesting it's it's a movie that i want to have conversations with everybody about, but uh, I'm not willing to put everybody through watching it. So. <laughs> right. Um, another thing that was hard for me with this film was um, I saw it with a sold out crowd, like a, mm-hmm. it was like a preview screening at like my independent theater. So it was everyone who was very excited to see like the big film that everyone was talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it got like a lot of very audible reactions as we were watching it. And personally, I had a hard time figuring out how I wanted to engage with the humor in the film. Um, There's quite a bit of scenes where I couldn't decide if they were intentionally funny or not. If it was, if people were laughing out of an awkward tension that they were holding, if the filmmaker was intentionally trying to be funny, if... You know, I, I I couldn't wrap my head around it. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I also maybe, I don't want to have a second viewing because it's so <laughs> long, but I think I could use a second viewing to, you know, nail that down. Uh, no laughs when I saw it. So that's, Interesting. Uh... <laughs> Lots of laughs in my theater. Lots of laughs. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and there, at times I also agreed with the laughs. Mm-hmm. And at other times I thought, this is strange that w- yeah. everyone's laughing at yeah. this. Um, but I will say like one of the best endings I think a movie has had this year, in my opinion, like best final shot. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Although it, it is a, uh, I think controversial opinion from what yeah. I've heard is that not everybody loves the final shot. So no, but I do. <laughs> I, I did think it's too, a yeah. really, I think it's, um, I think final shots are really fascinating, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so many times when I'm watching a movie and you know, I'm playing the game where I'm trying to predict like, is this the final shot? Like, is yeah. this what they're going to cl- finally close the film out on? Yeah. And I feel like that's something you can only do in theaters is just like, yeah. 
is this it? Am I about to end them? Like, is this right. it? Are they going to end it on this? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so so great. there's a lot of like intention and, and, and yeah, choice that goes behind like what someone decides to make the final shot of the film may be. Yeah. It, I think it says a lot about the thesis of the film. Um, and it's this one, I think, was an incredibly specific choice that really worked for me. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, last thing I want to say about Tar is that it it pretty much is worth seeing it, though, just to get the film Twitter jokes about Tar. I mean, if if you're a film Twitter person. Yes. Yes. For as long as we have film Twitter. Right. Then yes, I would watch it. If you're just a yeah. person looking for good movies around Thanksgiving and uh, no, no, looking no, no, for no. stuff to stream, this is not going to be your not, not at all. Be your vibe at all. So, <laughs> well, you ready to talk about She Said? I am. <laughs> all right. is about the New York Times reporters Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor as they break one of the most important stories uh, in recent memory, um, a story that helped ignite a movement and shattered decades of silence around the subject of sexual assault in Hollywood. Um, that is the IMDb description of this movie. Sandra, this is, I think, a story that we have, I wouldn't say talked a lot about, but I think have dove pretty deeply into um i think we we both read all of the articles around the harvey weinstein stuff when they first came out um we've both read the run and pharaoh book catch and kill um as well as have, have you read she said the book no i've i've been meaning no. to but i haven't i also have not read the book so it'll be interesting to, to have this discussion so i would say overall the story of harvey weinstein and um the women that are involved in this um i think is not new to us. <laughs> so, um, so I, I'd just love to hear coming into this movie, like, did you feel like, all right, we've already heard too much about this. Like there's already been too much media about it. I'm, are you ready for a movie? I was very ready for this movie. Okay. Um, because there, it's very simple that there are stories that people are vaguely aware of, right? You know, they've read the articles. Some people have read the books, but I don't think, story not the harvey weinstein story specifically but the story of the journalists mm -hmm. stories like this i don't think cement themselves into the grand public like pop culture knowledge um until there's a movie made about them you know like i had never heard of the story behind spotlight until i saw the movie spotlight right. um i was of course aware generally of like the Catholic church and like the, the, you know, criminal behavior that yeah. is documented in the story spotlight. But the story of the journalist was something I was completely unaware of. Yeah. Um, and that is a film that I'm probably gonna be referencing a lot throughout this conversation course, yes. because <laughs> I think it's a perfect film. And it also made me realize how much I adore films about journalists um, I mean, yeah, I think it's a really good point of just separating the difference between knowing the story of what happened and knowing the story of what it took to bring that reporting to light are right. two separate things. And so I think for me coming into this movie, I was like, yes, I know what happened. I am kind of I'm not not tired of hearing about it, but I don't know if I want to sit through a movie about that. <laughs> right. Whereas I don't think I'd really processed that this isn't about that. This is about bringing that 
into the media um, mm-hmm. and actually getting it reported on, which, as you said, is a completely different thing. Um, and I think we, in general, <laughs> really enjoy movies about journalists um, mm-hmm. and the on the on the ground reporting of stories, like the actual uh, shoe leather, the process of uh, that kind of work. So, do you feel like this lived up to? all the president's men and spotlight. Um, you know, it's a little too soon for me to decide if it's lived up to those two yeah. films. Yeah. Um, I literally saw this film this morning, so I am still reckoning with it. What I will say is that I connected with this film deeply and I think it's very good. Yeah. Um, I think that this film does a very good and interesting job of balancing the two stories, the mm-hmm. stories of the reporter, the stories of the victims of the Harvey Weinstein machine. Um, and yeah, those are two different stories that, that are intertwined. And I think it does a really good job of um, telling both of those in a way that was cohesive. Um, yeah. I, I loved this movie. Um there's a lot of different aspects of it that I loved, but the primary aspect I love is um, how this film, it's about these, you know, horrible behavior, this horrible behavior. It's about this investigation. Um, it's about the current events, but it still weaves in the real lives of all of these women the reporters, the victims, the, um, yeah, the people working on this story in a way that I found very, very moving. Um, we can talk more in detail about this, but I I do want to know how, what generally how you felt and how this kind of movie held up in the pantheon of reporter films. Yeah. I, I would say I love a good office movie about like people in the office, like doing Mm. good things, having big conversations and stuff like that. Um, and there was so much of that in this movie that I was like, oh, man, I kind of miss the office, you know, <laughs> as someone who like fully works from home now, I'm kind of like, oh, I miss kind of like walking around as soon as I would get into an office. I'd be like, absolutely not. I'm not, I don't, right. I don't actually want to do this, but just watching it, I was like, man, yeah, that's great. Um, but movies like Spotlight and All the President's Men, that's where the entire movie basically takes place. You don't get to see these people's home lives. And yeah. I really enjoyed that about this movie of getting to see I'd, this. I not all journalism happens at the office. Actually, very, probably very little of the actual journalism happens at the office. Yeah. Um, you're taking calls at home. You're trying to feed your kids. You're, um, you know, having to go and talk to people door to door, like stuff like that, where it's very difficult. Um, and it shows just the strain and pressure that it puts um, on you as a person. I also think watching mothers work Mm -hmm. while having to balance family life is something we don't get to see all that often you get to see i think in a lot of movies and tv shows you'll see people talk about being mothers um but all we get to see is like their professional life or vice versa we get to see their motherhood but we hear them talk about being a high-powered lawyer or blah 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 but getting to see those two things mixed together and how they are intertwined Mm -hmm. um and there's no way you can untangle that it is just life um i thought was really neat and something I I don't think I'd seen a ton of before. Yeah. You know, like oftentimes I think movies about a movie about someone dedicated to their career or like, you know, striving in their career or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, oftentimes they're about men. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And it's either one of two archetypes. It's like the single guy that like all he cares about is his career. His yeah. life is his work. Um, and so we're watching like that, his work, his work be everything to him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or we're seeing a, you know, married man with kids who can be so committed to his job and let his job take over everything because he has a wife that is raising his children for him and taking care of his house. And, you know, and then when we see women do that um, in films, at least I'm thinking of like spotlight, you have like Rachel McAdams character. Mm -hmm. We don't see anything about her home life. I don't remember if she was married or not. I don't think that character had kids as far as I can remember. Um, Or we don't see women, you know, like (laughs) there's just like, we don't make the stories about them. Um, And so it was really powerful for me to see um, two women who are incredibly dedicated to their profession and to this job and, and to the story that they're telling. And at the same time, they're managing being mothers, they're managing their own health, um, they're managing their marriages. Um, they have husbands that seem to be doing the same thing. It, I, I like that this movie, um, I don't think I would have begrudged the movie if this had been a plot point, um, because I think it's a very real thing, but I did like that there wasn't a plot point of a husband at home being like, you know, the closest we got was like, like, (laughs) right. The closest we got was the one husband very lightly joking, like, Hey, you're not listening to me right now. I'm, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, and yeah, so that was very refreshing to see. Um, but then the movie also does a great job of attributing all of that personal life balance with the victims of Harvey Weinstein Mm -hmm. that are being included in this story. Um, that we see them with husbands at their workplaces, at their homes, throwing dinner parties, dealing with medical you know, issues. And that just the constant reminder throughout this film that the events that took place that brought all these people together are not the only things going on in their lives. That we're all like fully human people that lead yeah. these complex lives and that these events may affect the rest of the parts of your lives, but that like you still have all this other shit going on. Um, I, I appreciated that so much. Yeah. I think it just, it, it was a world that felt lived in. It felt like these people were doing other things other than being in this movie. <laughs> right. Um, which made it feel so much more stressful and complicated too, right. to be involved in this story, um, which I just really, really enjoyed. Um, I thought the performances were fantastic. Everyone in this movie, I mean, it's a, it's a massive cast because, you know, yeah. because of what it is. Um, but obviously like Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan are two incredible actresses and had fantastic chemistry in this movie. And I think, again, this just comes to like not seeing enough movies with multiple women in it, <laughs> you know, like, yes. like usually there's like, even if it's a movie about a woman, She's surrounded by men the entire time. So she doesn't get a lot of interaction with other women in the movie. (laughs) So this movie where it's, they can like having them have conversations again, that aren't necessarily about um, the investigation. Um, One of the things that I, I I feel like is such an interesting concept that just isn't a plot point in this movie at all, but is just one conversation of Zoe, Zoe Kazan's character, is younger than Carrie Mulligan's character. And so she looks up to Carrie Mulligan 
as a reporter. But Zoe Kazan's character has two children where Carrie Mulligan has just had her first kid. Mm. And so there's almost a reverse where she's giving like motherhood advice (laughs) to Carrie Mulligan in just a very interesting dynamic that is never a conflict or never. It's it's not like a thing in the movie. It's just a thing that happens in real life of professional, uh, you know, leadership versus uh, experience versus life experience. Um, Those things differ across the board constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just something you don't see in movies often. And I just yeah. thought that I just thought that was an interesting dynamic that 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 came up in this movie. Totally, and like the two of them, their characters' energies were such a great counterbalance to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really interesting to watch them, you know, tackle a story together, decide who would take on what roles, yeah, um, what responsibilities. Um, I, you know, really relished, especially Carrie Mulligan's like kind of aggressive energy, whether it was actual like anger at someone that she was expressing Mm -hmm. um, or like her aggressive, like investigative skills um, was fascinating Mm -hmm. um, versus like Zoe Kazan's slightly more like empathetic, um, you know, tactics. Yeah. Um, This film, what I love about reporter films that I think this one really, really highlights is like reporters have to fill so many roles in their job. (laughs) They have to be good at so many things. Um, You know, chief among them is writing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But they have to be detectives. They have to be spies. They have to be lawyers almost. They have to um, be charmers. They have to, you know, there's so many different um, counselors. There's so many different things that they have to do in order to get their story um, achieved. And that was really interesting to watch two different women take on all of those different tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. I also, uh, love a movie with supportive bosses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of times movies, it's conflict between employees and bosses. Like that's sure. part of the movie. And I do feel like journalist movies have some conflict, but it's always like the boss is like, yeah, go get it. Let's do it. Let's make sure it happens. And having Patricia Clarkson and Andre Brower as like, very like some of the best bosses you know like those people are just oh man (laughs) yeah it was so great to just watch watch them work and watch them just have arguments about not even arguments just discussions about like how long should we let them um respond like how like what's our timeline to respond and like having um andre brower like ask people's opinions and then defer to patricia clarkson even though she works Mm -hmm. for him like just that kind of dynamic happens all the time it's just we don't get to see it in movies and it's just a very interesting i don't know it it felt it all felt very layered in a great way yeah i also think that like a more cheesy um less nuanced version of this movie right Mm -hmm. could really lean into like a kind of girl power um, yes. tone yes, and could have um, any, I don't love conversations about sexual assault and sexual, uh, uh, you know, violence that villainize all men. And I don't say that because I'm like a, a not all men person. <laughs> Trust yeah. me. I have my yeah. moments where yeah. I want to villainize all men, <laughs> but I, but I just understand that like the world is not, you know, that simple mm-hmm. and it is nice it makes the the film feel so much more credible to see that there are men in these women's lives yes. that were supportive and helpful and you know and not villains mm-hmm. 
while they were hunting down the real like monsters hmm. that that do exist in the world. Um, and so I, I appreciated that, that it, it didn't take on some tone of like the Patricia Clarkson character being the only like boss that's a hero and, you know, having some men in the office being creepy and gross. Right, and, right. Um, yeah. So that, that was interesting to me. I think you also could have, I, I just feel like there's so much about this story that it's like, why didn't you lean into this aspect of it too as well? Well, you know, there's just like, this story is massive. And so it's yeah. like the, the pieces that didn't get in here, I mean, this movie could have been like eight hours. This could have been a full mini series um, just exploring like how much of this you want to get into. Um, but I, I just think like what they chose to focus on and what they really just narrowed down to is great it was perfect for this story yeah <laughs> um and i think we can i mean i feel like we can talk in spoilers about like what are the actual facts um mm-hmm. and not to say that, like they changed facts for this but like what are the things that actually um came out as part of this investigation versus right. future investigation and stuff like that um but i just think this is a great story and a, almost i think an expert handling of how to tell an extremely complicated, nuanced, and traumatizing story. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, did you see Maria Schrader's other film that she had last year called um, I'm Your Man? It's about, like, a, a robot boyfriend. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't oh, you watch Oh, that's Marie Schrader. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You did see that one? Yes. I I loved that film. It was in my top 10 yes. last year. Um, I forgot about I didn't know that was her. Yeah. I didn't know she directed this. That's great. Yeah. And I just think that she brings um, just a high respect and sensitivity to telling stories about women. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think she, she brought that in, in I'm Your Man, which is tonally very different from this film. Um but and she brings it here. Um, you know, we've had conversations about my sensitivity to the way rape and sexual assault is depicted in pop culture. Mm-hmm. This film, it's it's I think it's an, an impossible task. Yeah. Um, and I think there are, you know, some projects that handle it as well as you can and some that handle it very poorly. And I appreciated that this film, the overarching thing throughout this film is that like we're really focusing on it's in the title what like the the voices of women, mm-hmm. and that you can let those stories be told simply by women, and you don't have to like resort to always like depicting the violent acts. Mm-hmm. You can use like tone and words, and like that's often more than enough. Yeah. Um, and I think this film like handles it really beautifully. Not well, you know, beautifully as yeah, yeah. as beautifully as it could. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, I completely understand. Um, I think one of my only criticisms for the, and I wouldn't even call it a criticism, is just the complicated nature of how uh, recent this story is. Mm-hmm. Um, makes it and like in my mind, this story isn't even over. Um, Weinstein is on trial right now in L.A. Um, and so the fact that we're already getting this movie about it, um, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't, I don't think it detracts from the movie at all. To me, it just feels like this is the first part of a story. Um, and, and so I, I, I also, I, I don't know if that felt like anything to you, but just the fact that like, we're talking about a story that came out like four years ago, <laughs> yeah. um, and are really, 
I don't know. It hasn't it, it the, the end of it isn't here. And so we don't get like bigger takeaways than the actual facts that happened. I feel like something like spotlight or all the president's men are again, the, the illustrations I'm going to use constantly today <laughs> yeah. are like film made so much, not, not even so much longer, but like have a, the benefit of a little bit of hindsight to be able to um, dig into some themes that were part of that era and mm-hmm. how things have changed since that era. And in my mind, we haven't moved far enough past that era for things to have really changed i mean yes stuff has changed since the me too movement but i mean like you know (laughs) yeah does that that make sense at all it does i don't know that that was something i thought about um or that bothers me but i but i understand what you're saying yeah i think the reason it the uh, i guess the timeliness of it also came up in the fact that this is a story about famous people Mm -hmm. and those famous people are still very famous and still around and yeah. so the technical question of do you have those famous people play themselves? Are they willing to do that? Do you have other actors play someone like Gwyneth Paltrow? Like what is right. like technically how do you make a movie like this happen when so many of the people involved are people that everybody knows? <laughs> yeah. This soon. Like I completely understand like someone playing Bill Clinton, you know, or someone playing Barack Obama, but someone playing someone who is you know, from four years ago feels very difficult to me. 100%. Um, I think we can talk at spoilers about how this film handles that. Right. Um, But yeah, I think those are interesting questions. It's also, you know, um, I saw something about, you know, there's this new series, um, Fleischman is in Trouble, that is recently out. Um, And I read about how it is set, the, the TV show is set in 2016, um, and so they had to shoot New York City as if it's 2016 and how that is actually much more difficult to do than if it right. was like a, a long time ago period piece. Yeah. Um, and so that was on my mind when I was watching this film is, you know, what is it like to shoot something that is so recent um, stylistically? Yeah. And, and with you're right with it being about Hollywood um, and about a news story that was so big and prevalent. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an entirely different challenge that, you know, a lot of those other reporter films have never had to like deal with. Right. Right. And again, I don't think it took anything away from it for me, but I think for someone like me the whole time, I'm just like production wise, how yeah. are you? I, that was just in my head the entire time is totally. how are you, how are you going to, how are you going to do this? Huh? How's it yeah. going to work? <laughs> so, but. you know, the only criticism I have of this film is something I was trying to figure out. I don't actually know a ton of reporters or like how, you know, I don't in real life, how they discuss things with each other. Um, There were certain parts of the script and the language that didn't, that felt a little unnatural to me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for instance, I kept wondering like when a reporter would be like talking to her boss or to another one and they would like lay out all the full names of the people and like the facts in just like a casual conversation um, was like, do, does, does every reporter do that in every conversation? Or is that just like for mo- to, to pay tribute to this person in the film? You know what I yeah, mean? Right. Um, Cause I would imagine if I was a reporter talking to my boss, I would say like, 
oh, I'm going to go interview, like, another Weinstein assistant. And instead, like, they would say, like, I'm interviewing, you know, Rebecca Smith, Mm -hmm. Weinstein's assistant. (laughs) And be like, the editor doesn't need to know the name right now, you know? Um, Yeah, I was curious how real that was. That's a good good question. I think one of the interesting things about this they really didn't get into too much is that uh, Patricia Clarkson's character, uh, I think it's Rebecca Cobert, Corbett? Corbett, something like that, um, was actually another, like, she, her credit is on the article. Um, Mm. So she is also writing this article with them. Mm. Um, And so I think in this context, (laughs) it does make sense that they're probably having these larger discussions. Um, I do think it was to the benefit of us, though, (laughs) (laughs) to be able to uh, put all these names and places together. Um, But yeah, I, I also wonder how much, how much of that kind of stuff happens. Right. In reality, for most stories, it's just like, I'm going to go interview a person. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later. Exactly. <laughs> like it's not. It's not. You're not digging into the details. Yeah. Well, I, I have so much more to say once we're doing spoilers. So I'm ready for that when you yeah, are. Yeah. Let's, let, let's dive right in. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Now, crack and gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. Um, well, let's start by talking about how they handled the the famous real life people. Yeah. Um, so the very first question I had when I was watching this film was who they got to do Trump. Um, yes. And it turns out they got James Austin Johnson, who is on SNL right now, who has a great Trump impression. Mm-hmm. Um, who is also like from Nashville. I used to go watch him do stand up comedy, like, but when I first moved here. And it's very exciting to see him on SNL. And I'm really glad that they picked him to to tag in for this, you know, that small yeah. little scene. I think he did. A, I think he did a great job. It's I mean, it's super helpful that it's just over the phone. So you can distort that audio a little bit on speakerphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think he did a great job. But also I was curious if it was just if this is just cut together from other <laughs> lines that Trump said, because it's oh. all it's yeah. all believable. But yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, you know, it really lends like. It, it made the scene feel really very real, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I do think starting this movie with a, f- a failure like that of like reporting mm-hmm. on that and having it not lead to anything gives that character, I think much more gravitas in coming at this story yeah. um, of saying like, I have done this before and it has gotten me nowhere. Um, yeah. Is an interesting angle. <laughs> so. And because, I'm sure the amount of like backlash that are that she yeah. faced yeah. after that that she might not face reporting with something like Weinstein or mm-hmm. at least not in the same way you right. know um, was I think also really important um, you know this film there's so many things that this film there's so much to cover right so like the, there are so many aspects that are only really covered in one brief scene and then never brought up again mm-hmm. so for instance like her getting that um, rape and death threat by a stranger on the phone. Um, That's something that is illustrated by that one call, but that we know a reporter like her probably got hundreds online, you know, like Mm -hmm. in emails on Twitter, like that this was not like an isolated incident. Yeah. Um, But that the movie doesn't have time to like really fully illustrate that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so some of the other fig- figures, we have Rose McGowan's voice, 
that I believe was done by an actor as well that was mm-hmm. not Rose McGowan. Yes. Um, and then Gwyneth Paltrow um, is never depicted in the film. We they see we see mm-hmm. her house, her yeah. like her very glamorous poolside. Yeah. Um, and that I thought was also very interesting. That you know it made me wonder like was she approached to participate in this movie and declined? Was it would it have been too distracting to have like the Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. in this film? Um, I think it was smart not to try to cast anyone to portray her. She does give her voice performance to the phone call. Oh, does she really? Yes, that is actually her. So oh, her, I did. I wasn't aware of that. Yes. So she is. She participated. I think I'm curious if she had stipulations that she would not be shown on screen, or if that was just part of the the script. Um, the or... script as they were as they were writing it. Yeah, that's very interesting. Okay, that's that's interesting to to know. Hmm. Um. And then uh, Harvey Weinstein, like we see in like figure, and then I, I'm assuming someone does his voice. I'm not familiar with who. Yeah, I don't know. But then finally, we have Ashley Judd um, playing yes. herself fully as herself. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, me too. Because you first see her from behind, and I'm like, right. okay, so they're just like, you know, it's a stand-in situation. Which and then let it's me tell you. Ashley Judd. <laughs> After that reveal, anytime mm-hmm. we saw a woman from behind, I, know, I, was, like, I was like, who's it going to be? <laughs> there was one moment where we see a blonde woman I, from behind. Yep, yep. And I, I was like, as well. it's Gwyneth. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, how did you feel about that choice to have her play herself in the film? I thought it was good. I, I, I think she doesn't take up too much space in the film in a good yeah. way. But I think she just lends such a, not credibility, but just like a power to yeah. her role in this of being like, somebody has to speak out and somebody, and you know, nobody is nobody, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the line of like, they all want to jump. Like if they're going to, if they're going to jump, they're all going to jump at once yeah. and it not, not having that person and having someone play themselves, having it be her, yeah. <laughs> I thought was really powerful. I did too. I really loved the choice. Um, I personally am, this doesn't do this to an extreme extent, but I am very interested in films that blur the line between depiction and documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, this is the, this Ashley Judd's performance is really the only kind of blurring of that line right. in this film. Um, but nevertheless, I do find it a fascinating choice that, that really worked for me. Mm. Um, and I think, like you said, it's the fact that it's, minimal and it really is focused on like making her story and voice be heard um the way like all these other women either were or weren't able to Mm -hmm. um makes it makes it work yeah i completely agree there yeah um i also want to talk about the choice to open the film the way it did um with that scene in ireland Um, oh yeah yeah when I, I forgot in my, that's how it opened, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in my theater, you see Ireland, 1992, mm-hmm. and a woman, like, walking on the beach. Yeah. And I heard, the, the women in my row were like, are we in the right movie? You know, yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really liked that choice as well, to see, like, this is how it all started. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this is, this story didn't begin with these reporters. It technically began with these women. Yeah. Um, and. Again, yeah, just centering their narratives as much as possible um, 
really worked for me. Yeah. I also really thought that the the other depictions of younger women that again I, I like that they chose women that weren't famous, you know, to de- mm-hmm. to depict yeah. those se- those sequences. Those worked for me as well. Like putting a face, I think it's important in these stories to have people visually see how young these women were when it happened, you know? And you do that by depicting it and not by just saying, like, she was 23, she was so young, you know? Right. I I was unsure of how I felt about the flashbacks till about halfway through because mm. in my mind they weren't adding too much because we weren't seeing I don't want to glamorize the pain but we yeah. weren't seeing the pain yet we were seeing like we saw that beginning sequence and then we didn't get a flashback for a while yeah um, and I was like are we just gonna do this to um, almost make it more emotional is, is the point of this to just make it more real so we don't have just these discussions of mm-hmm. it we, we get to see it um mm-hmm. and in my mind it actually worked really well because you saw you saw what these people could have been yeah you saw what their lives could have looked like and what they wanted out of life from those scenes and then you got to see the older version of them and where they are now and yeah. that just juxtaposition i thought was extremely powerful whereas if you just saw this is her at 45 or whatever this is what her life looks like you don't get to see all the hope and the and um the hope and desire that got ruined by this experience yeah yeah um i'm trying to think if there was other things that i really wanted us to talk about in spoilers um oh you know one thing that i think this is a small detail but I liked seeing our main characters in dresses. Um, yeah. You know, that to see, like, modern-day career-driven women that will wear a sundress yeah. to the not, park. Not like just, like, a succession dress where it's, like, a business dress. Exactly. You know, like, just a right. sundress with flats. Right. Like. <laughs> yeah. That, like, you don't have to be, like, dressing so, like masculine or mm-hmm. sternly um to be taken seriously you know yeah. um and like the the that like these are women these are just like women existing again like these are full real women mm-hmm. um and not characters of like career driven women yeah even just like the small conversation of like ah we dressed the same do i want yeah. to open change and like, like a little laugh about exactly. that yeah yeah like, it just feels so real and um just another thing on top of the things that you have to do, you know, (laughs) like, like the story is about the things at their work and every other little thing just makes up their lives. And is something that they're thinking about or having to deal with. Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's beautifully rendered. Yeah. I, I need to read this book. Um, but of course, like as I'm watching it, I couldn't help, but constantly think of Ronan Farrow's book right? and like his experiences trying to tell this story and the ways that they like differed or things that might have been the same that were included and were not included in this film because of runtime and how there's so much to cover. (laughs) Um, You know, like the Ronan Farrow talks a lot about like the stalking that he experienced as part of telling this story. And that's like, briefly referenced but in like throughout the film right we um, get to see little glimpses of it but it's exactly not a, 
but it's not like a, a driving force right. um, in the story in a way that like I find it's very fascinating and compelling, yeah. you know, like that that happened. Yeah. Again, like I said, like this could have been eight hours long of just totally. like digging into every little detail of this. And I'm just so impressed by the the economical nature of <laughs> of being able to tell a story this, you know, concise. Right. I do still feel like the movie was long, not in like a here's eight things you could have cut, but just in like it felt long. Sure. Um, but I think – I don't know how you could have made it shorter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so, I mean, there's so many aspects to also just the story of Weinstein that right. like wasn't yeah. covered. Um, every time we got one of the reporters interacting with a man that was part of Miramax in some oh way, my gosh, yeah, you know, and ha- having their reckoning mm-hmm. after like the reporter leaves the room. Yeah. Um, you know, that was fascinating to me. There, there's so much to cover on, like, the machine that mm-hmm. was put in place to protect Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. One thing that, again, there's not enough time mm-hmm. that I would have been interested in the movie delving deeper into is, like, the ethics of handling these types of stories. Yeah. And interviewing these women. With all of the non-disclosure stuff? Like... No, I mean more just, like, the personal ethics of, like, how you handle those kind of discussions. Um, So, for the reason I'm thinking about this is... So, I used to be um, a advocate for sexual assault victims, like, in hospital settings. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, part of that included, like, training on how to handle people who are survivors of sexual assault, like with sensitivity and that makes them feel empowered and not further victimized. Um, And so like, it's an interesting conversation, right? That in order to do good in the world, bringing this story to light is very important. Right. Mm -hmm. But on the way there, there is, I think some murky, questions about whether you are harming the individual women that are participating in your story. Right. Um, so the, like the clear example of that is the, the woman who came forward about Trump at the mm-hmm. beginning where, yeah. you know, they brought forth this story and then she, her life was severely impacted negatively because of that. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of questions about like, am I right to, ask this woman to come forward, you know, like Mm. knowing what it will do to her. Um, There's also, I think a lot of ethical questions about the way you ask questions and whether they are re-traumatizing people, you know, Mm. Um, not that I think that these in this movie, like the way that they handled things was insensitive. I just think it's a conversation I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, The one scene that I did have like a lot of ethical concerns about was when the reporter sort of like reveals to a victim's husband that she may have been a victim when he yeah. clearly was unaware of that. Mm-hmm. And like her um, breaching the privacy of this woman, mm-hmm. you know, um, which reporters do all the time. Reporters breach privacy constantly. Right. Yeah. Um, so there, the, there are questions about how you do that and what is, what line do you cross or do you not cross? Um, I'm just interested in that conversation and I don't think this movie had enough room for a full in-depth version of that conversation, but I would have been interested in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, but sense. otherwise, I I love this film, and I'm 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 I think it is one that I will revisit. I think I will too. I think I was surprised that I felt that way afterwards. Yeah. I was like, this is a movie I'm gonna get through and probably like, but will be. I have so many of those movies that I'm like, this is an excellent movie that I will never watch again. Totally. Um, and I don't think this is one of them. So yeah, I Spotlight is a movie that I do return to yeah. quite a bit. Like I think Spotlight is so good. And you wouldn't think that I would re- continually watch a movie about, like, child sexual abuse. Right, right. <laughs> but, but yet the way that it's handled is so good that I, I have returned to watch it. Um, yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Sandra, where can we find you online? You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Have you signed up for Hive yet? No, I'm not familiar with Hive. Okay, I just found out about it today. I've, okay. I don't know anything about it, but I did just sign up. It, to me, it looks a little more like Instagram than um, Twitter, Okay. Which I don't love, but it looks like you can do all of the Tumblr Twitter things as well. So Interesting. Well, I'll, I would, ch- I'll check it out. I would say technically more like Tumblr, but people are using it like Instagram. So okay. we'll, we'll see. But again, sure. I just signed up for it today. <laughs> yeah. So you can find me, Lucas Wright, at Hive, um, as well as on Twitter and every other social media platform for as long as they exist. Um, I will not be posting much, just uh, watching the world burn. So. Sure. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 